This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode number 80-something. As I've been informed, 85. Michael's giving me the hand signal here. 85. <laughs> oh, gosh. And now David Hemphill. We were just messaging. David Hemphill and I were messaging. And I told him he makes me nervous sometimes. <laughs> Hemphill makes you nervous? He does. He's just intimidating like that. I don't know. He's just like I mean, those... anyone that can take a kick to the head like he can and just keep I, going I is think uh, definitely intimidating. I think that's what it is. He's just, you know, he's just like, I don't know. He's one of those guys you like to impress, I think. I don't know. He's like so hardcore. That's just one thing I pick up on. For the day. He just feels like super hardcore about everything. Doesn't he? Do you ever feel like that way? I think so. It's because it's cause of his like steely result. Demeanor. Like he's always, it's, the face is always the same. He smiles, but it's one of those. You know, you know when like, you get a smile out of David, it? it's a real one, right? Yeah. You know yeah. when you get a laugh out of him. You he doesn't got, hand those out to anyone. Yeah, not, yeah, exactly. And that doesn't mean like he's not like a funny, like, la- like he likes to laugh, right? It's just not like he's like a mean guy, mm. but like, yeah, that's funny. Anyway, that has nothing to do at all with this episode, episode 85, you know, just part of the banter here, part of the banter. So we've got some good stuff. I actually read through everything and for the very, I think probably for the very first time ever in the life of this podcast, I was ready before you. <laughs> so I actually had time to read through this stuff. <laughs> and you know figure out what i'm going to talk about a little bit here and there's some pretty interesting stuff here so it looks good i mean I, good. I just figured you'd forget all about it and i could keep going on with my day yeah so you well, have surprised me Jacob. I, you have I, surprised me the very first time probably i've been like hey dude are we doing this today and you've been the one like oh yep yep we're doing that so you probably knew you were just gonna let me initiate and see how it went so <laughs> Anyways, anyways, I'm sorry that uh, you've got a sick kid at home. I know you're kind of, we're, we're doing this yeah. a little bit off, you know, not the correct schedule. It feels like our schedule has been a little bit off recently, but. It has been the last couple of weeks. Sickness and we had, uh, it was Eli's first birthday last week. So That's obviously right. I had more important things to do. Exactly. That was a blast. And yeah, then we got the phone call on Thursday last week. Oh, he's sick. You need to, you know, he had a fever. So we had to go and get him. And then, you know, we gave him, we just put it down to teething. So we gave him some Panadol, some, uh, you know, paracetamol. And, and he was fine the next day. So off he went to childcare and they called us. We were just leaving work to pick him up anyway and they called us and said oh he's got a fever again so i went to pick him up and we picked him up and he had a little blister on his lip and we took him to the doctor the next day and the doctor's like yeah he's got a hand foot mouth and he's oh, got gosh. an ear infection oh, and he's word. teething so all three he was a little bit of triple fun and games on yeah fun and games friday night and uh and saturday night and then yeah he he slept really well since then so and it's really hard because he's just always happy so even though he's got this ear infection and he's got a hand foot and mouth he's trying to he's and, trying and to he smile hasn't got it. the hand or the yeah he hasn't got the hand or the foot part of the hand foot and mouth it's just in his mouth so eating was a bit difficult for a for a little while there because everything was you know yeah upsetting him but um sure and yeah and because he's got hand foot and mouth he can't go to childcare until he gets the sign off from the doctor so He's off all this week and a couple of and days next home. week probably. Yeah. Yep. We've working been... working from home. Got the got my parents over just 
helping out because that's nice. There's no way I can look after nope. him and and work. Working from home with a child by yourself is pretty much like not working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got we've got uh, pink eye going around right now. That's a fun oh, one. Yeah. Pink eye and colds. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Wrong time of year for colds for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's like weird. Summer colds like never go away. They those, just gotta hold yeah, on forever. Interseasonal colds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. We're making it happen here, folks. We're making it happen. Episode 85 is happening right now. We're going to jump in. Okay. Laravel SNS events package. So if you have not used SNS before, SNS stands for Simple Notification System. So this is part of the Amazon Web Services offering that you get. And so basically what this is, a let's see, here's what it says. Amazon Simple Notification Service. Is that what I called it? I think it's what I called it. Mm-hmm. A highly available, durable, secure, fully managed PubSub messaging service and enables you to decouple microservices, distributed systems, and serverless applications. Okay. Pretty much, do you remember IronMQ? I do remember I IronMQ. I feel like that's what this is, right? It's like you have queues right now that like you kind of push to like a database or you push to Redis and you use Horizon to consume those and whatever, whatever. But that kind of lives on the same server, right? SNS allows you to use queues that are kind of live in the cloud, right? So you can have something that gets pushed up and you can actually consume it from another location if you wanted to, which is kind of the advantage here, I feel like, a little bit. You can consume events from anywhere. And also, any of your AWS services obviously can tie in quite easily with SNS. So for example, if you're using simple email service, SES, and you get a bounced email, you can create a topic that will create an SNS notification. And now with this, which has kind of been a pain in the past, to be real honest, you can consume these SNS events really simply, really, really simply. You just have an event service provider. You tell it what uh, item is coming down the pipe, and then you respond to that. And so this this package makes it really nice, really easy to do that. I am looking at the name Renaki. Renaki. Renaki, so, yeah. Renaki. So it looks really good. And uh, if SNS is something that you've used in the past and have had uh, some of the same pain points that I have in getting this set up to work in Laravel, your pain points are now a thing of the past. There we go. Laravel SNS Beautiful. events package. I would be interested to hear, do you guys use SNS at all? No, we're, yeah. we're just using Redis. So. It's nice because, okay, so some of the things are, like if I have email bounces, uh, one of the ways that they can notify you is they hit an HTTPS endpoint, right? The other thing that you can do is, which is, is in our case, we have internal applications that I don't want to open up to outside firewall traffic. Like I don't want to open the firewall up to say like, hey, allow webhooks in. So what you can do is you can actually say an SNS topic that publishes to SQS queue, and then you can consume it through there as well. There's a lot of S's and and amazon things yes there there are so sqs is basically the queue thing right so like i can actually Mm -hmm. make a call i can pull out to it so it's a outgress instead of an ingress Mm -hmm. right so i don't have to write any firewall rules for that so you just go out and ask and there you go so for email balances it's particularly useful okay moving on moving on Dynamic Imports with Laravel Mix is a is an article by Jason Beggs which goes through uh, the support for dynamic imports in version 4.0.16 and above of Laravel Mix. 
It's a it's essentially a method of code splitting, allowing you to easily split JavaScript components, packages, and other modules into separate files. So this is something that I first came across in Jonathan Rennick's Inertia JS, uh, which essentially splits out all of the individual components and does some behind the scenes magic so that you only download the JavaScript for the page, like for the components that you're loading. And it essentially allows you to ship much smaller initial bundles. So instead of like the full JavaScript package, you just get a couple of kilobytes, which obviously helps to improve load times significantly for users of your applications. And then Webpack will automatically download any additional files needed when the user visits a different page. So there's a bit of configuration needed. You need to create a .babelrc file and add the Babel plugin syntax dynamic import plugin. Or you can do that configuration directly through your webpack.mix.js file if you don't want to have separate config files in your application. And then to, to tell Webpack you want to import a file dynamically, you just use a slightly different syntax, which uh, which is in here. So instead of using a an import component name from the reference to the component, you just define it as a constant and uh, use the the short return syntax. So the fat the name equals, yeah, the fat arrow syntax and then import directly there. It's really pretty, it's, it's not much of a... No, I mean, it's not that much of a change. It's quite easy to implement. And then essentially um, Webpack was split all this out dynamically into chunks named 0.js, 1.js, etc. And then Mix will uh, be configured to use the, the chunk names and then, and then a hash of the contents. So you'll get um, obviously the benefits of uh, you know, caching those things as well. So uh, it's quite handy. Uh, it, it, it hooks into Vurouter. As I said, I, I first saw it in Jonathan Rennick's Inertia.js. It just basically, instead of having to, on every page load, load, you know, your full JavaScript bundle, you can get just the JavaScript that's needed on that page. So instead of downloading, you know, 600 kilobytes or pulling 600 kilobytes from the cache or whatever, every single time you're getting, you know, bytes or, you know, a kilobyte or two each time. So they're definitely a handy tool to have and they're super easy to use with Laravel Mix. And obviously the benefits to your end users are quite real in terms of, you know, small footprint and not having to download all of your JavaScript if you're only visiting a couple of pages. So here's my question on that. So like, do you have to be using view router or something like that to take advantage of this? Like, is the view router the thing that's aware of which components are being loaded and here's the JavaScript that you need? Or like, you know, do I still just import app.js or not import, but like say script, you know, type equals I don't, I don't think so. I think JavaScript. view router is an example of, of one way to use this functionality, but you can just use it in in your javascript is normal i believe so what i'm you know what i'm trying to figure out is like so i have you know i compile everything down to like app.js whatever typically mm-hmm. right um so if i'm, that, am I yeah. just doing these 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 dynamic imports now at the top of my file instead of you know a regular import well, you wouldn't statement reference, i wouldn't think you'd reference them like you would just use your javascript as normal and and webpack would be responsible for figuring out what to serve when okay so you just basically do everything. You do everything the exact same as you would. The only thing you change is your import statement, and then the app.js figures out. Oh, you need to load this in. Yeah, that that's my understanding of it as well. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Is, yeah. and if that's the case, I'm really gonna. I'm definitely gonna use that. <laughs> like, because literally, like, if yeah, if that's as simple as it is, then I mean, it's like a finder and replace, and then recompile, mm-hmm. and you're done. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check I, that I, out. I, I, that, I mean, that's my understanding. Of it. I'm dove too deeply into it obviously sure. uh it, it all just works when when i tried it in uh in inertia so that's uh some dark javascript magic i know i'm sure someone will tell us all about it 
Does it, it's awesome. The dark JavaScript magic is amazing until it doesn't work. Like if there's something that doesn't work, it's like, okay, I'm screwed. Like don't know what to do. Don't, no idea. Yeah. Right. Then we go back to blind views. Exactly. Right. It's like when your lawnmower just works, like when all you have to do is just pull the thing and like put gas in it and it works fine. Great. No problem. I'm an, I'm an expert. As soon as it stops like starting, I'm like, nope, don't know. Like no idea. No clue how to fix this thing. Yeah. Not even, not even going to try. Just got to take it somewhere. I'm not putting my hands near those blades. Nope. That's what a guy's for. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we are to, we have a, um, a Laravel, we have like two updates we're going through actually 5.8.0 or 5.8.20 all the way up to 5.8.22. I think we save those and we'll keep trucking through some of these other items. So here's an update for you. How many of you out there use GitHub desktop? Hands? Hands? Me either. I don't use it either. I'm a, I'm a command line guy. But that's very surprising. Is it? Oh, come on. What? I'm definitely I surprised offense. by this news. <laughs> I take offense to that. What, you are what, a what about me man. screams gooey guy? Huh? Just because I use uh, PHP Storm, you think I can't hack it on the command line? <laughs> I thought you're all about the crutches. You're, you're nodding your head. Okay. So, no, I learned, I learned to get the hard way, man. You know, I basically, when I, when I first started learning Git, like the guy who was sort of mentoring me basically was like, nah, you need to learn it on the command line. That's how you need to learn it. Learn it that way first. And so I did. And then I used tools like source tree for a while. Like when I was just, when I'm doing like, I don't know when I'm doing other stuff, but now I just pretty much use only command line. But in the case that you use the GitHub desktop, there are some cool new features, which were some of the reasons why I didn't use it before. And here they are. So the next major version of their Git GUI client, which is 2.0, released two of the most requested features, which are stashing and rebasing. So these are the sort of things that were kind of always like hidden behind the scenes. Like when you would switch branches, like GitHub Desktop, I believe says like, do you want to leave these changes on this branch? Which basically means I'll stash them for you and then reapply them when you come back to this branch, right? So it can, you know, you can now do stashing and rebasing, but Paul Redmond seems to like it, and he says the app feels really polished. So if GitHub Desktop is something that you are using, you should go ahead and update to the latest version. It says mm-hmm. um, there's also the ability the ability to include emojis in the same way that you can on GitHub.com. Ta-da! The ability the ability to co-author commits. That sounds interesting. Co-author commits. I've never heard of that. And then being I able guess you to could just have two authors. Well, three right. right. I mean, like, but then when you go to get blame, it's like, who do you actually blame? Mm, That's why we've got two hands. Yep. That is why we have two hands. And then you have the ability to check out a pull request from a forked repo. So a couple of interesting new things, but the biggest ones for sure, stash and rebase. So check it out. Okay. Very nice. What else we got? You, you skip around, you, you pick whatever ones you want. Cause I've got a couple cool ones in here that, uh, right. have you, have you looked at the Laravel pipe dream thing? No, I haven't. I oh, just, it was pretty interesting. Everything's been a blur. That I, I didn't even realize it's been as long as it had been since we last recorded one of these things. So <laughs> Caleb Porzio and Daniel Colborn were saying something about this. I think he may, maybe Daniel had an idea about this, and then all of a sudden, just out of the ether, it just like popped out. And like whoever made it made it, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, it actually happened." That's usually how things go, isn't it? Just don't it say thing. If you have a good idea on on the internet, don't tell people about it. Just deliver it. So. <laughs> Laravel Pipe Dream is a development package by Anders Jurisu. 
Gee, I, I couldn't even. I must only be able to do names on the weekend. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, that's Anders. True. To create Laravel application schemas rapidly from from the README, create new web projects really fast by giving PipeDream a minimum of input in a form of a sketch or entity list. It will predict your application schema and feed it into a set of pipes. These pipes will generate all the files needed to get started really quickly. So there's a two-minute introduction video to see PipeDream in action, but the gist of it is that you start with a sketch syntax, which looks just like a, a text file essentially, mm-hmm. and you just define a Pascal case for your models, uh, separate your entities into chunks just with a, a blank line between them, use snake case to set up many-to-many relationships, use buttons to add default users to system and things like that, and then PipeDream will use the text to generate a schema and creates the files based on that schema you provide, uh, which you can then edit in, in looks like a, a web interface. So you can edit the generated files beforehand and, and before you generate them and then manage templates used to create files on the disk. So it, it obviously creates all of these things based on templates. So you can put your own little flair in them. You can put your own comments in there or remove your own comments or do whatever you want to do, you know, not extend the you know, the base controller, for example, in your controllers and things like that. Um, so it looks like a, a really handy way of going about building new applications. Uh, yeah. if, if you're looking for some rapid scaffolding, I'd, I'd definitely give this a look. It looks uh, looks to be an interesting package. So obviously we'll have links to that in the show notes. Yeah, the um, the video is pretty enlightening. And it's the thing is it doesn't just generate like, we're not just talking about like database schema here. And, and models. It generates all the migrations. It generates all of the models, as well as all the relationships, as well as any of the casts, as well as any of the dates, as well as any of the views and controllers and policies and everything. Everything it creates it all for you. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, some people would argue to say like, well, yeah, but then you've got all this cruft that you don't actually want that you didn't actually, you know, whatever, whatever, but it's completely customizable. So like you can change everything before it gets persisted to disk. You can look through the entire file structure on the left-hand side there, modify anything that you want, and then just go in and say, okay, now I want to push it to disk. Now, obviously like one of the downfalls with these things is like, you can only do that once. Once it's persisted to disk, you've basically hit the eject button, right? And now you can't use this to manage any of that anymore. You can do it once. So it only really works for greenfield projects, it would feel like. I suppose you could use this to a lesser degree, like if you were creating a new model migration controller, all that stuff. Like if you were going to do that, you could probably use this as a one-off to say like, hey, I'm going to create a new model and it's going to have these relationships and it's going to have these fields and go ahead and generate for me the migration, the model, the controller, the views and the policies. You could probably do that and then eject and then copy that over. So that's possible. But it's a very, very interesting project. Very interesting project. So yeah, well done, Anders. Anders. Enders. Okay. We also have a package to help set up SEO in your Laravel project. What's that like? What was the, looks like the really like scumbaggy term. I guess it's SEO optimization that everybody sells, right? Like all these like web, like that was like the buzzword for a while, right? Yeah. SEO optimization. It was a thing. I don't know that SEO is really a, a thing now. Like Google and like the search engines have got really smart about crawling the content and, and, you know, seeing things that are linked to other things and backlinks and all this, like, it's not just a matter of having, you know, the meta keywords in your, in your header and, and, you know, linking to your competitors or, you know, naming your competitors so that you could come up on all of the search results and things like that. So it's a lot more sophisticated than what it used to be. And it's much harder to game the system. 
And and by the looks of it, this is more a thing about putting meta like open graph tags into which are the, a huge the pain header. in the butt. Yeah, so I think this package is is more around that kind of thing than mm-hmm. you know any kind of search engine optimization itself. And then yeah, I mean, looking at the the examples here, it's talking about adding the open graph, you know, the Facebook app ID, the open graph URL, the type content type, the the title of the the page, and then setting meta things like your viewport and and you know the device width and all that kind of stuff. So I I think less search engine optimization and more you know the the meta content of the of the page. Yeah, although like I and I think maybe I cast this in the wrong light. I think the thing that came to mind anytime I see SEO, it's always like a ugh, like is this actually the thing that I'm looking for, right? Mm. Because I think it's just like the optimization word that it's just that was what like everybody kind of like glommed onto and were like, oh, we'll sell you this, we'll charge you this much a month for whatever, and then they would just like have some auto generated blog posts that were just didn't yeah. you know what I mean? You remember that? I mean that was like the thing. Okay. <laughs> But this, this actually solves a real problem, which is that how many times have you actually gone in and correctly edited the title of your page to be what it should be, right? Or have you ever been guilty of it just saying like, the name of our company is the title of the of every single web page or whatever, right? Because sometimes those things are annoying to set, right? So this solves that by allowing you to set a lot of those values in the controller and then just echo them out in the in the um, in the views, which of course you can build yourself and probably many people have. But this does this does help fix some of that problem, and it also does open graph stuff for you, which again is always sort of like a pain, like it's. I have to go find what the open graph tags are. Then I have to go copy and paste them in and, and all of that mess. And this just makes it quite easy. So it's got open graph tags for uh, Facebook, of course. And I think I think Twitter uses open graph tags as well. If they don't, they kind of have their own version of it. I think they've got some speci- some vendor-specific stuff, but they will they will read the OG stuff because it's, it's kind of you know ubiquitous enough that, right. that it works for both. Sure. Anyway, cool package, and I think it, I think it would be helpful. Like if you've got a content-heavy site, especially, and you need to be swapping out titles and open graph tags on a bunch of different pages. Like if you had like a blog, uh, for example, um, this would probably be quite helpful. So Mustafa Kamal, thanks for creating that, making that for us here. All right, we've also got Composer Git hooks. Do you happen to use any Composer Git hooks in any of your projects? Uh, not Git hooks. I used to using some thing. <laughs> I think it was a Python or a Ruby thing that you would install and it would, you know, set things up for you. And then you'd have like a dot file that, that would configure what actually ran. And so I think, this is a, a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the difference here is that all of them are managed in your composer file. Right. And mm. that's kind of the advantage you have here. Otherwise, like before it was setting up Git hooks specific to each project or like globally on your system, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so now you can kind of like push these all into your composer configuration. Yeah. And it's handy. Obviously, if you're doing PHP stuff, sure. before your stuff's PHP, then it's good there and you can keep it versioned and things like that. Exactly. Um, obviously, if you're mingling between languages and you're playing with Python or Go or whatever, it's it's less useful, I think. Uh, and you'd probably want a more generic solution that you can, you know, just do Git hooks. But um, this allows you to manage the Git hooks easily in your composer config file. And it gives you a command line utility to make it easy to implement a consistent project-wide usage of Git hooks. And specifying hooks in the composer file makes them available for every member of the project team. So, you know, all of those things that, that we spoke about in terms of 
consistency and being available for all of your team members, not having to remember to add them and having them just run. So, and you can put in there pre-commit hooks to, to run things like PHP CS Fixer, making sure that commit messages contain like specific fragments. You know, you can do a, a regex to see, you know, it definitely has a, a reference to a to an issue, you know, in, in your, in your uh, Jira or GitLab or whatever, or to make sure that it only ever says whip. And then, you know, <laughs> separate, separate hooks that yeah, check, you know, this happens pre-commit as opposed to pre-push or post-merge or whatever. So you could get it, you know, when you do a merge from another branch that it would run a composer update because how many times have you merged in some changes and gone to check something and it just doesn't work because you forgot to do a composer update. So Or a yarn run or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Yarn so, yeah run so you can configure all this kind of stuff inside your composer file. So I assume you can get it to just run generic bash and things like that as well yeah i'm sure you could yeah azinwa okpochi okpochi azinwa okpochi okpochi there we go yeah that looks pretty interesting i think git hooks has kind of been one of those things that i've seen before but i've not really taken the time to play with and i think because it didn't really offer a ton of value because i i i feel like I couldn't figure out how to distribute it across the project to my other developers. And so this would make it, this seems like it makes it easy enough that you could, you know, kind of push it in into the repo mm-hmm. and, and get the rest of your team to, to, do, to dive into it quite simply. Uh, we also have this Laravel persistent uh, configuration. So Paul Klimov, basically what this extension does is it allows reconfiguration of already created config repositories using data from external storage like a relational database. So what this does is it wraps your config with this new layer, kind of like a decorator, I believe. And then it mm-hmm. allows you to pull in configuration values from a database. So you can still use the config helper to reference values inside the config, but now these configs can be dynamically changed. So mm-hmm. you could say based on like who's logged in, still reference this config item, but now it's going to change based on who the logged in user is. Does that make sense? Sort of? Yeah. 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 So having your users override preferences. So you might set a default. One that was common from like the PHP BB days was you would have an application wide date format. So it would be like, you know, day, month, year, or have the the, the name of the day or whatever. Whereas your individual user might want it in ISO 8601 format. So they've got year, 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 month, month, day, day or whatever. So having your users override the application defaults is is nice as well. And it's it's always been, as you say, tricky to do that. It has been. And it's like, it's one of those things, again, like what these packages do is they're not necessarily unique ideas. They're not like, mm. oh, I've never thought about this or I've never had to solve this problem before. It, what what they do provide, though, is a canonical way, maybe not like a Laravel, like it's not like endorsed by Laravel yeah. or anything, but it's like a, a, a problem that has now been solved that you don't have to think about again, essentially, right? Like you, you certainly want to evaluate these things critically, but once you've kind of got something that you like as a solution, then hopefully you don't have to solve that problem again yourself. So yeah, this is a, an interesting way to handle these. And it kind of, you know, certainly can you create your own user config using like a model and some columns? Yeah, sure, sure you can. But it's really nice to just be able to use the config helper wherever you want, right? It, it makes sense to call it config. You already have the config helper. Why not just wrap this with wrap that with this uh, new repository service and uh, be able to pull some values out of the database. So pretty interesting. Yeah. 
Paul Klimov. Paul Klimov. Thank you very much, Paul, for creating that. Give that a look. Okay, so last time we were on Laravel News Podcast, we talked about subscription billing with Laravel Cashier for Molly. So I think maybe my understanding of why Molly was needed as opposed to Stripe wasn't like misinformed, just uninformed. Like maybe I didn't understand some of the reasoning behind why Molly was created or or some of the things that it offers. So we talked to Sander Van Hooft, which is the guy who created this package. And today we have him on the show with us. Sander, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Jake. I... (laughs) Yeah. So we wanted to talk a little bit about like what, uh, you know, what some of your motivation was behind this. What were some of the problems you were facing that you found were difficult that you feel like Molly helps to overcome? Well, I I, I was working at a few platforms uh, simultaneously, actually. And I I was looking into cashier because all these platforms were Laravel based. Um, but, um, what I, and, and I really loved how, how fluent, uh, cashier is cashier for Stripe or cashier for Braintree. Right. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Europe. Uh, I'm from the Netherlands. Um, and my platforms were targeting the Netherlands as well. So that they, they were built for, uh, a European customer base. Sure. And the issue there was that. Uh, for us, it's not uh, a given uh, that we have or use a credit card. For, for us, uh, a credit card is uh, yeah, more of an alternative payment method. And Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, the thing is that the, in the Netherlands, uh, yeah, almost everything is, is uh, online is uh, by using a debit card. Uh, okay. and, and also in the day-to-day grocery shopping, uh, etc. Um, but it tends to differ a bit per yeah, European country because all these countries have a different history in terms of uh, payment. Uh, so, I, so as yeah. a as just as a little bit of a push, so can Stripe also accept debit cards? I I, I guess maybe I was under the impression that. It did, but that's possibly just because in and like any debit card that I have also has like a Visa logo on it, so I can use it as either. Yeah. Right? I can use it as a credit or a debit card. So it's possible that in my mind I'm just conflating the two and thinking, oh well, Stripe can accept debit cards when in fact it can't. It's just using my Visa. I don't know. So is does Stripe allow you to use debit cards or no? Yeah, uh, uh, Stripe does, uh, but uh, not uh, particularly for a recurring billing, and that, that's what okay. what. Can- Oh, sure. is actually really about yeah yeah that makes sense that's that makes a little more sense sure yeah 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 so um and yeah molly is uh, was offering a service uh, they offer a checkout flow using a redirect instead of a token-based uh, billing what stripe does so what you have with stripe is you you put uh, the javascript uh, widget into your uh, into into your page into your blade uh, view, and um, it's it's you stay on the same page uh, when you're checking out with them. So that's when you give actually a mandate to uh, uh, to be built on the cards you're providing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Molly does is they uh, provide a checkout via uh, redirect. Um, so you're redirected to their checkout. Uh, where everything is handled uh, securely, but also the checkout is optimized 
for uh, the user that's actually using it. Uh, so uh, the checkout uh, will uh, show the uh, payment methods that are common for that country. Uh, oh, interesting. On top, and also uh, it's optimized for language and for uh, yeah, what kind of device you're using. So wow, yeah. So that really knocks out a lot of like problem points all at once pretty much right yeah so you said it so three things it says like hey what country are they from so it, it kind of handles the geolocation portion of it and, and identifies their you know which location they're accessing your website from and then uh looks up in its database hey what are the common payment methods that people are using in this country and provides those optimizes it for their language as well so probably takes a best guess as to what language they're going to be speaking if they're from that particular region and then uh, optimizes it for mobile versus desktop and all that as well yeah yeah so interesting yeah and th that's actually the solution i wanted so uh but, but i looked into it and my first impression was it was just not possible actually because uh uh, the, the the flow of Molly, uh, how their API works as well, is li like really different from Stripe or Braintree. <laughs> so I, I was doing some other work for them, and they asked me, "Okay, you're uh, you seem to be uh, quite deep into Laravel. Can you build us the cashier package? Because people are uh, asking us for us and uh, for for it." And uh, I, I, on that point, I, I already had looked into it and uh, I told him, well, no, it's not possible. Even put it <laughs> on my blog, it's, it's not possible sure. yeah. <laughs> And uh, because your API is just so different uh, unless we make big changes to the API. Um, but I think a month later, something clicked in my, in my mind and I thought, well, we can do it if we put like 95% of the subscription billing logic into the package itself. So it, 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 a lot of the logic is not running in Molly's API like it is in Stripe's uh, uh, service sure. or in Braintree's uh, service, but it's running in the package itself. And the funny thing was that when, when I came to the point that this was ready to be used, all kinds of new possibilities uh, opened up because it was running locally in your application so now you can use uh, uh, just native laravel events uh, you can do, do uh, it, uh, you can use custom hooks uh, called preprocessors in this case to uh, implement your own uh, method billing uh, and you can uh, uh, build your own uh, coupon logic so the coupons offered the coupon logic offered by stripe or braintree is more uh, financial incentives mostly uh, because that that's uh, what you're using the, their service for but with this you could either uh, even uh, uh, say okay you're using a coupon called a chocolate bar and send uh, automatically a chocolate bar if you want it so it's interesting okay sure <laughs> yeah yeah so this is really interesting to me because it feels like so uh, you know and correct me if i'm wrong because it's been a long time since i've even tried cashier and i think the reason was it didn't really fit the model that i was that i was interested in in doing which was that i didn't have fixed prices of like subscriptions like it was the thing i was trying to build was like a donation uh, a donation page for a nonprofit, right? So 
Uh, I needed people yeah. to be able to to do recurring payments, but I didn't have like, I didn't have subscription things set up in Stripe, yeah. right? For them to be able to say like, I want to subscribe to this plan or to this plan or to this plan, one of the three. Uh, so what it kind of sounds like you're saying is the package that you created allows you to break out of what so, what what those two services, Stripe and Braintree, specifically offer in terms of, hey, we have these recurring revenue models that you can set up in Stripe, and then you basically just consume them using cashier. So what you're saying is you brought all the logic around recurring transactions into the package, and Molly just provides you like a recurring token or something like that through their checkout flow? Yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. exactly what's happening. With Molly, it's called a man. Wow. Right, but th- that's what's happening. So uh, yeah, it, it was a big effort, I can tell you, and a, a lot yeah, of I'm research, sure. and uh, also digging into the Stripe API and into the Braintree API and all the cashier packages, just understanding, yeah, why everything was like it was, and what what was happening, and and uh, how the yeah just kind of backtracking how the the recurring logic is functioning. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we, we've managed it. Uh, we had a, a really great uh, alpha test group uh, at first with, I think, 30 people in it. So we uh, we thoroughly tested it. But then still, I thought like, okay, let's be a bit careful with releasing this. Uh, so we're in uh, open beta now, still advising to use uh, only uh, the test API from uh, Molly. Uh, but uh, so far, I feel pretty confident, uh, actually, because we're getting great uh, feedback, but it's not like anything's broken or anything. So the, I was a bit scared of that, but that's, yeah, really great. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a ton of work. That yeah. is a ton of work. <laughs> I, I know having written like recurring, recurring um, payment solutions before, how much work and how much stress goes into that, too. Yeah. Because when you screw up recurring payments, it's a big problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Like one time specifically, I remember I accidentally forgot to swap out uh, credentials when I was testing locally and I was actually I was accidentally hitting like live credentials right and like recharging somebody every time I ran my tests and so that stuff is always a nightmare right when anytime you're dealing with recurring (laughs) transactions and somebody else's money that's never that's always like you know fraught with uh lots of stress like oh man I hope I get this right yeah well that's really that's really really cool I'm uh I'm glad to have had you on and and kind of talk us through a little bit more of like what your inspiration was some of the problems it solves and and hopefully this will kind of serve as a way to introduce people who aren't who weren't really familiar with what Molly is and and what kind of they offer uh hopefully this kind of um opens the doors to a little bit larger audience and and introduces them to some of the unique uh issues that this that this kind of squashes thanks Jake yeah absolutely thanks so much for coming on yeah no appreciate problem. it <laughs> great all right man thanks bye-bye everybody's favorite human paul redmond has written an article on debugging git ignore so who's ever been in that situation where you've created a file and you've tried to add it into git and it's been like nah, yeah this has been actually ignored. one time i, I, I pulled a project down and i was like why is this nothing why is nothing working i know we just like did this and there was a git ignore that had actually ignored one of the javascript files that was supposed to be compiled and coming in and uh yeah it was a mess yeah, yeah. so uh, if you've ever ever done that or ever ever been stuck by that issue it's uh, sometimes difficult to figure out especially if you've got a more complex git ignore file if you've got some wild cards in there it's a little bit can be difficult at times to figure out 
what is actually responsible for ignoring any given file. Mm. But there is a very handy and little known, apparently, command. You can do git check ignore dash v and then give it the path to the ignored file. And it will take you through to the path. It will show you the path and the line number of the ignore file that is causing your file to be ignored. You by could also git. have this could be caused by um, global git ignore files too. Right? Correct. Yeah, you could have something on your own on your own file system that's ignoring something that's included from some some package that you've cloned down. So uh, if if you ever found yourself in that situation, then uh, definitely remember that command git check hyphen or dash ignore. Or we can just or you can just find the blog post linked up in the show notes. You can do that as well. Tell us about array collapse performance improvements in Laravel 5.8.2. Yeah, so in, in, in 5.8.19, there was this uh, improvement with array flatten. So this uh, release, array gets another performance improvement, but this time to the collapse method. So uh, basically what it does is it changes the number of times that array merge has to be called. So it's called one time instead of n times based on the size of the array. Uh, so there's a pull request out there and some follow-up and details in the pull request so you can read about that if you're interested. There is also a new feature with the view any method, which was added to the policy class stub used with the index action of a controller resource. So this is actually the first time I was introduced to this was in Nova. So view any basically says, um, yeah, they can or cannot view any of this stuff. So just return a complete true or complete false. And it says, nope, can't view any of it. I believe is how that works. So this hasn't changed anything other than the fact that it's now been added to the policy stub. So when you generate a policy out of the uh, command line, so PHP artisan make policy, whatever, this uh, view any method will now be added into that stub. Also, there's a full path option, which was added to the make migration command that will output the full file path of the file once it's been created in the console. Uh, so that's that. And then you can see the entire diff between 5, 8, 19, and 20 on GitHub if you're interested. If you're interested in that, I think that's most of it for 5.8.20. There's some interesting stuff. Yeah. So the really good stuff in the newer uh, update that I didn't get to talk about you, but you probably will. There's no, no 21. It includes realized. both of them. I think yeah. 21. There's a 5.8.22. Usually he does that. Like So if he includes 22, nope. I am wrong. Nah. Fake news. Uh, fake news. The fakest. The most Laravel fake news. Is Laravel wrong. fake news. There is, yeah, there's no 21 included we in We skipped 5.8.21. I think it was a pretty slim Must release. I think uh, JMac from Laravel Shift, he sends out an email every time a new release goes out because obviously he's going through those with a fine sure. tooth comb to make improvements and modifications to the Laravel Shift project. So I'm pretty sure it was just a minor, like a revert of something in 5.8.20. So if Laravel news is to skim over this, then so, so shall, we. shall we. For we are Laravel News. <laughs> so eager load relationships of morphed models in Laravel 5.8.22 was released with a... Uh, so we've got a new morph with method to eager load relationships of morphed models. This release is also packed with new features, so be sure to check out the full release notes, which we will link up in the show notes. But at a high level, a new at component first directive was added, which is similar to the include first directive which allows you to say um give an array of different of of different uh, view names and it'll just load whichever one it finds first so if you're working in like a, a themed re repository or a themed application where you've got like default values and then you've got theme specific templates 
it'll just go and find the first one. So if you've ever used something like Drupal, which does that whole cascading, like load this thing or this thing or this thing, very similar. So we've had this with the include first directive for quite some time, which allows you to include a specific template file. Component first is the same kind of thing, but for components. So you could have different levels of customization and themed components. Next, we've got a the with morph, with morph method was added when you want to load relations of morph models eagerly. So you pass, you know, with commentable arrow function, morph to, and then you can go morph to, morph with, and then you put in your mapping of like post colon colon class to the user. So look, every single time we do this, it ends in disaster. Please check the show notes for a link to what this is. I'm sure if you've ever needed to be able to eager load morphed relationships, you'll benefit from this greatly. But definitely check out pull request 28647, which obviously will be linked up in the show notes. Obviously. One benefit of this approach is that nested relationships are supported by using with, um, as, as the example shows. We also have a new contains all method added to the string utility class, which will determine if a given string contains all of the values in an array. So you can do comparisons against uh, a string and it will split that string up. So for example, if you had string contains all Taylor Otwell and then passed an array of Taylor and XXX, which is an interesting choice, uh, it would return false. So but if you were to pass it an array of Taylor and Otwell, then it would return true. So it's looking for all of the strings in the array in the in the supplied text. I'm not sure where you would do that over just comparing the strings directly, but here we are. <laughs> Next, error handling for maintenance mode commands was introduced, which now outputs a failed message and an exit code of one if either up or the down commands fail. So if you're doing that as part of your deploy strategy uh, to do a PHP artisan down, and you get a non-zero exit code, you can then handle that in some way, um, you know, firing off a, a webhook or a, a notification to Slack or whatever. The next, the test response assert JSON validation errors method now has message value assertions, which allows you to check both the error key and the message. So I've found myself just assuming that when testing JSON validation errors, getting the key back is enough Same. to make sure yeah. that, yes, this is the thing that, that has happened, but you might get two different errors and you might want to verify that you're getting the, the specific error message, not just that there is an error for that key. So you now have the ability to pass an array, a key value array to the assert JSON validation errors to check both the, the key and the specific message exists for that validation error. It still allows index arrays, which will just assert a matching key as well. And a mix of both the indexed array and an associative array uh, we'll check key and message. You can also check to see that the assertion has, uh, you can also use an array of messages to check that multiple validation error messages appeared. And we've, we've, we've done this before, but we also want to give a big shout out to Tetiana Blindaruk for handling the changelog and releases for Absolutely. Laravel. It's obviously not easy to pour over all of those commits and things to see what's changed and then consolidating all of that into a clean and concise changelog. All right, I think the last thing we've got on the list here is the immutable PHP currency converter. Now we've talked about Laravel money before, which is a package for formatting money in Laravel projects. This is not that. This is a currency converter. So it converts 
currency. And so it's an immutable PHP currency converter that is data agnostic. So you need to bring your own database or repository of currency conversion data and implement a data layer for the conversions, but then it handles the currency conversion backed by your data repository. So it provides the API for you and it looks pretty interesting if this is something that you need to be able to do. Here's the solution, again, written up by everybody's favorite human, Paul Redman, and the composer package is provided by Gustavo Ocanto. Ocanto, man, I mean, it's literally not even that hard of a last name. I just like, I get nervous and freeze up. Gustavo Ocanto, there we go. The very last thing, and I will quickly mention it here, Dries Vince published a video on uh, his essentially full-time job of maintaining Laravel and going through all of the, the pull requests and things like that. Uh, it's it's like a 40-minute video where he goes through how he, how he deals with issues, how he deals with pull requests. Got some little recommendations in there on using the GitHub issue templates and what, you know, what is actually useful and, and how much is detail is too much and, and not enough. So if you've got 40 minutes to spare or, you know, 20 minutes if you want to watch it at two times, definitely recommend checking that one out. Absolutely. Thanks so, so much to everyone who puts in all the time and effort to make all these posts and all these community contributions possible. We're so thankful to be a small part of the community and be able to bring you some of this news item stuff. It's great. It's great. Okay. That wraps it up. Thanks everyone for listening to episode 85 of the show. You can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 85. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda at Jacob Bennett or at Laravel News. As always, if you liked the show, you know what? Don't even bother rating us up unless you really want to. Just share it. Just share us with a retweet on Twitter or share us with your friends when you say, hey, you know, I was listening to this podcast the other day, this crazy Aussie and this dude from Illinois and uh, yeah, share it around, share it around. Sometimes that's better than a rate up. I think it is, but if you want to rate us up, we'll, we'll take yeah. that too. We'll take that too. All Absolutely. Right. We won't say no to love from you. Well, people. But reach out to us too. That's always fun as well. Ask us some questions or like, uh, you know, like happened uh, this week. Sander, with Sander got on. Yeah, because he just reached out and he's like, hey, I'd love to talk a little bit more about Molly. So we're like, sure, come on on the show. No problem. And we made it happen. Yeah. If you want to be on the show, if you have something to say, reach out to us. We'd love to have you on sometime. All right, everyone, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Adios.